Well, Emily Dickinson, the famous poet, she wrote a poem that was titled, Tell All the Truth, But Tell It Slant. And I am not a big poetry person, but I've actually always loved that line. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Come at the truth differently. Maybe approach the truth in such a way that instead of being overwhelmed by the truth, that we are able to actually absorb the truth. And that line came to mind this week as I was preparing because I felt like that's what the Lord did for me in Judges 13 this week. He was revealing things to me that I'd never seen before in this text, revealing things from a different angle. I'm just so grateful for what's already happened. And then the hope for this morning is simply that we too would be able to receive the truth that the Lord has for us. And so we are going to actually read the entire chapter of Judges 13. And I know I just sat you guys down, but we're going to stand for the reading of the word. This was the best way I could think at actually just acknowledging the story on the whole. It's 25 verses, so I know that we can, we can do it. But this is Judges 13. Here is the word of the Lord. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he did say to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. 
Then Manoah took a young goat together with a grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would have not accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manahedan between Zorah and Eshtael. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys can be seated. So there are four figures, four characters that we're going to be looking at this morning, and the first one is Samson. We often picture Samson with rippling muscles, but I hate to burst your bubble, the text actually never says that. The only physical descriptor is his long hair. So in our minds, we hear strong and long hair, and our minds jump to this guy. He's, he's coming at you. There he is. Fabio. We jump there, but he's not actually described that way. There's strong reason to believe that Samson was pretty average looking because people were surprised by his strength. They could not figure out how he was so strong, and I think it's probably because he didn't look very strong, which maybe that is why Eric chose me this morning. <laughs> that hurts, Eric. <laughs> Samson may not have looked strong, but he accomplished feats of strength no other man could. Like Samson makes American Ninja Warrior look like Sesame Street because he is tearing apart a lion, then he takes down 30 men, then he takes down 1,000 men with just the jawbone of a donkey. We have a picture of what that looks like, and I am pretty sure that the only person I would be able to hurt with that is myself. So Samson's able to do these amazing things, but his strength, it doesn't lie in his frame. His strength does not lie in his hair. It's revealed to us in Judges 13, 25, the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord is who makes Samson strong. So the only time in the whole narrative of Samson, Judges 13 through 16, when he has this strength, it is because the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. But unfortunately, even though Samson was set up for so much success, he squandered his potential. Samson had so much potential. His birth was proclaimed by not one, but two divine proclamations. His birth itself is miraculous. He grows up in a godly home. At a young age, the spirit is stirring him. But Samson didn't live up to his potential. And I think it was simply because he was really distracted. Of all the judges, he was the least one interested in being a deliverer. He was much more interested in chasing women than chasing Israel's enemies. And though he did deliver his people eventually, his death itself even seems to reflect a life that did not live up to his potential. Samson's distractions 
robbed him of his potential. Sometimes our distractions rob us of our potential. I'm so burdened by this for our senior class. And not just for them, but especially for them. Because here it is, it's Senior Sunday. The potential is tangible, like you can feel it. So much anticipation of what could be. I believe the potential for this generation could be limitless, that they could take more ground for the kingdom of God than any generation before them. They've had the advantages. They have the potential. We saw all the uh, family members who have stood and poured into them. If they've graduated from Eagle students, they've had those opportunities for community, discipleship, Ignite Camp, mission trips. But distractions are everywhere. I read that the majority of Gen Z will spend over five hours on their phones a day. But that's like the low-hanging fruit. You know, in student world, it's easy to pick on that. Smartphones, social media, we've heard that. I am much more burdened by the distractions of the good things, that the pursuits of good grades could come at the cost of discipleship, that being involved in sports could come at the cost of corporate worship. We need that same spirit of the Lord to come upon us and to give us strength, but not to do the things that Samson did, but to give us the strength to do what would be amazing in our culture, to eliminate distractions, to not have to keep up with the Joneses, to not allow anything that's going on around us to shake us so that we are not distracted from our potential. Well, next is Manoah's wife, the person in the story who doesn't even get a name. And it reminds us a little bit of Sarah in Genesis 17 because both women are without child, they are barren, But an angel appears to her saying, you will have a son and this is how you should raise him. So when I read the story of Manoah's wife, the word that came to mind was simply trust. Manoah's wife trusts God. And I think that we see it in two ways. The first is that she trusts God enough to change her behavior. And then the second is that she trusts God for the impossible. She trusts God enough to change her behavior. When the angel told her to take the Nazaretic vow until Samson's birth, she did not question it. And that would have been highly unusual. That weird mother-son duo of the Nazaretic vow, not normal. But she doesn't question it. She takes it, trusts him, and changes her behavior. So when was the last time that you changed your behavior based on something that God said. So I think if it's been a while, it's possible that it is a trust issue. It could also be simply an obedience issue. I know me, and there are those times where the Lord has told me to do something, and I simply do not want to obey. But I think more often than not, it is revealing that we have a trust issue. We do not trust that what God tells us is actually for our best, We do not trust that what he says is going to give us life to the full. We don't want to take him at his word when he says, live generously, turn the other cheek, take up your cross and follow me. Manoah's wife also trusts God for the impossible. 
And what I love about this type of trust is it was long-term trust instead of short-term. And here's what I mean. Short-term trust is where you find out pretty quickly if you're trusting in the right thing. And so you guys are sitting in these blue chairs. They're very old blue chairs, right? Like they've been here for a long time. But you are trusting that these blue chairs are going to hold you up throughout the rest of the service. And you're going to find out pretty quickly. It's short-term trust. Long-term trust is when you have to trust that God is going to come through for you and you're not going to see it for months or for a year. Because just put, put yourself in her shoe. She like has been barren for so long and yet the angel says to her, you're going to have a son. Seemingly impossible. And yet she allowed herself to trust, to hope. She also trusted that he would deliver her people but that was something that was 15 years in the making. I can't promise, you know, that God will do the impossible for you. But I do believe that he is the God of the impossible. That anything that he wants to accomplish, he will do. Because we believe what it says in Luke 1.37. For nothing is impossible with God. Manoah's wife trusted God. Now, next is Manoah, and I came up with a little rhyme to help us remember Manoah. Oftentimes, Eric will have you repeat something um, with him, and uh, I wanted to do something similar this morning, but I had to do like a little rhyme scheme. It has a little rhythm. Here's how it goes. Manoah's named, but he's real lame. Manoah's named, but he's real lame. I want you to do it all with me. No one is too cool for this. I'm the one up here looking like a fool. So here we go. Manoah's named, but he's real lame. Manoah's named, but he's real lame. That was good. My rap career is going nowhere, but you guys are good. It's not, yeah. Because Manoah asked for that man to come back. So God sends the angel of the Lord back, and he asks two questions. Can we prepare a goat for you? And then what is your name? Now, it is possible that Manoah is being genuine. Like, maybe. I'm going to leave the door cracked open like 5% for that, that he's being genuine. But there is some ancient Near Eastern background that we need to know. Back then, feeding a deity would obligate that deity towards action. It would be the whole, you scratch my back, I scratch yours mentality. And then knowing the name of a spiritual being meant power. Knowing the name of a spiritual being gave power over that being. And we see this in other places. Remember in Mark 5, when Jesus comes across the demon-possessed man, and Jesus asks him, what is your name? And of course, since Jesus is the one asking, you better believe that he responded. And he says, I am legion, for we are many. I know that it's, it's different, because in that story, it's a demon. In this story, it's the angel of the Lord. But the same principle applies, that to know the name of a heavenly being meant power. So it might seem like Manoah is being hospitable and curious it's more likely that he is being controlling, a little manipulative. Both times, the angel of the Lord redirects. He says, even though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but you can offer it as an offering. He says, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. 
Manoah is trying to control things. Sometimes we try to control things. I don't know about you, but I have never tried to control God. I have never made a wager saying, like, God, if you do this for me, I will do this for you. I have never asked him to verify something that he has already told me. (laughs) 2020, we're sick of hearing about it, but it was a difficult year. But actually, for me, it was not so bad. It was actually pretty good. (laughs) And I was able to see God working, doing different things. I could see his hand all over And I even felt really loved by the Lord throughout last year, which is saying something for an Enneagram 3. So I don't know how many of you guys are into the Enneagram, but we've done it as a staff. I am an Enneagram 3, which means that I am an achiever. People like me, one, we're really obnoxious, so I apologize. (laughs) But we, we feel loved by being told that, like, we're doing a good job because we're achievers, And so Enneagram 3s actually have a really hard time receiving love by people and I think receiving love from the Lord for just being who we are. It always has to be tied to something that we do. And last year for me, even though I am the one like sitting home alone with a carton of ice cream during a pandemic, I was feeling loved by the Lord. But then 2021 hit. Well, of course, the world is kind of getting back to normal My world kind of feels out of control this year. I'm fighting the Lord on some things that I'm pretty sure he's already told me. And I am trying to control everything and anything, including God, probably actually especially God. I'd like to think that if the angel of the Lord appeared and told me some things, that I would not need to ask for verification, but I think I would probably do what Manoah did. So what are you trying to control? Have you been trying to offer God a goat, symbolically of course, to try to get him to do what you want him to do? It comes back to trust. And I think it's really meaningful to see how different during this particular story Manoah and his wife are. Because for some reason, Manoah's wife is more in a place to trust than her husband is. And I think that's just reality sometimes. If you're married, you know that the husband and wife are not always growing in God at the same pace. And that's okay. That's normal. It's going to happen. And we see it in this story because when the angel of the Lord, he like ascends in this flame over the altar, and right after that, Manoah freaks out we're going to die, right? We're going to die. And then it's his wife who calmly and gently explains, the Lord would not have just revealed all of that to us just to kill us. Manoah couldn't trust God because he was too busy trying to control him. Well, last but not least, we come to Israel And Judges 13 starts off with the same cycle that we've grown accustomed to. I'm using the same graphic that Eric's been using. It's simply just a reminder of what was the the normal cycle that we see play out over and over again in Judges. Israelites did evil, so the Lord delivers them over to their enemies. 
And the cycle seems to be continuing, but something is different this time. This time, the people don't cry out for a deliverer. The cycle had always included crying out for deliverance, but not this time. This time, they are apathetic. We see their apathy because they're not actually following the law anymore. When the angel is talking to Manoah's wife, we could almost miss this little detail, but he says, remember to not eat unclean food. That wasn't part of the Nazarite law. That was just like regular old law that they were no longer doing because they were complacent. After 40 years of oppression, you'd think that the people would want to be delivered, but they don't. Why? Why would they be so content with oppression? Well, I think they simply got used to it. 40 years is a long time. That's a whole generation. I think they're just used to it. The Philistines brought stability. The Philistines allowed people to kind of worship whichever God they wanted to. The Mosaic law was restrictive, so it was probably actually a lot more fun to live under Philistine rule. They got used to it. I think it's a sobering thought for us as a church to consider what have we gotten used to just in one year alone that perhaps we should not be getting accustomed to. Israel settled for oppression, and sometimes we settle for oppression, and I believe it is when we don't realize what we are missing out on. Now, when I was a kid, I loved going to McDonald's. It was a big deal. It was a big deal to go to McDonald's, but it wasn't because of lack of frequency, because we went plenty, right? Like, this was before the movie Supersize Me. This was before there was all this, like, cultural guilt on moms that, like, you couldn't take your kids to McDonald's a lot. I love my McDonald's upbringing. Take your kids to McDonald's. It's a good thing. <laughs> but I loved it. We would look forward to it. The play place, the Happy Meal toys, which, of course, everyone is fighting over, and my meal of choice, cheeseburger, fries, orange Fanta, or Fanta, depending on where you're from. <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved that McDonald's cheeseburger. Kids think that that stuff is the best. If my parents let me have a choice between a McDonald's burger and a burger at a sit-down restaurant, I would choose the McDonald's burger every time. But then I got a little bit older, got my driver's license, I'm making my own money, and I started to be exposed to other burgers. And you know what I realized? I realized that McDonald's sucks. <laughs> it's not good, not good. <laughs> Give me Brew Burger, Burger House, or Burger Theory any day of the week over that stuff, because I realized what I was missing. We settle for oppression when we don't know what we are missing. So I've been letting my mind kind of just wander in prayer this week, asking myself, I wonder, like, what is God looking at us and saying, like, oh, they have settled. They are content with the American dream, not my dream. They've settled for a very busy suburban way of living, but they're missing out on what it means to live on purpose and on mission. They are oppressed, but they don't realize it. 
They have settled for the McDonald's approach to life instead of the Moontown approach to life. Israel should have known what it was missing. They had seen God be faithful over and over again. The Abrahamic promises, the splitting of the Red Sea, coming into the land of Canaan. They should have known what it was to be a free people under the Lord's authority and protection and his peace. But they got used to living without it. They got accustomed to an oppressed way of living. For Christ followers, I believe that we've had those moments, those seasons, those high places with the Lord where we know what it is to live under his authority as our loving Father who knows us better than we know ourselves, who knows what is best for us. But sometimes we do forget and we settle for an oppressed way of living. The oppression of maybe living in fear, the oppression of living where we are critical of that which is around us, the oppression of hiddenness, the oppression of spiritual blindness. If that's you this morning, don't do what Israel did. But I don't actually mean don't be oppressed. I really don't like it when pastors get up and they say these kind of cheesy lines, don't be oppressed. <laughs> like, just don't do it. Because for me, at least, that is not entirely helpful. I'm like, what, what does that mean? So I don't mean don't do what Israel did in that way. I mean, don't forget to cry out for help. Don't forget to cry out for deliverance when those times come. Israel didn't cry out, which makes God's intervention that much more amazing that God would choose to intervene unwanted, unasked, it reveals who he is, his love, his faithfulness, his power, his truth. So worship team, you guys can come back up. Maybe you relate to Samson because you know that there is potential, but you've been distracted. Maybe you relate to Manoah because you want to trust, but you're just too busy trying to control everything. And maybe you relate to Israel where you're realizing, perhaps I've been living in oppression and didn't even realize it. I wanted to circle back to our seniors. I don't feel like I have wisdom to offer them for their lifetime. You always hear these graduation speakers say, like, this is what you should do for your life, as if I'm going to remember it, like, an hour later. <laughs> but I did want to just have them frame up at least the next year, because it is a daunting stage of life. Think back to what it was to be a senior in high school, a lot of excitement, but a lot of change is coming. And whether you're going to be going away to school or maybe you're going to take a gap year, you jump into the workforce. I know that there will be times when our students will want to control when they simply need to trust. I know that at this point in their lives, they might actually start to develop some habits that if they're not careful, could be building up habits towards oppression instead of habits towards freedom. And we know that they have potential, but they could get distracted. I was thinking back on my own time, high school senior to freshman in college. And the Lord actually kind of reminded me of something that he told me and where I actually did respond in the correct way 
and then was able to reap the benefits over and over again. So when I was in high school, I played the French horn. Does everybody know what the French horn is? Yes, this is good. The French horn, it's the best brass instrument, and I played it all throughout. My parents were the ones who were the singers in the family, and so I actually did one year of choir in high school. It was my junior year, and I hated it. I know, you, you guys know me as someone who's like, oh, Ian likes to sing, Ian likes theater, Ian likes choir. Not always. <laughs> there was that one year in high school, it was miserable, and I quit for senior year. I was like, put me back in the band, I don't want to do that. So you can imagine when I went to Moody, which shout out to um, Sam is going to Moody, and then Ben Darge, who is playing bass up there, like, there's Ben, hey, Ben. <laughs> Ben is at Moody, and when you get there for Welcome Week, they have the plaza, there's all these nice tents and booths set up, and they're trying to lure you. Again, it's very manipulative. They're trying to lure you to join their club. Now, I had a plan. My plan was to be in the orchestra, because believe it or not, the orchestra is cool. So I wanted to do that. And then that first year, they were going to Israel. And so they were using that. They were going to milk that for all it's worth. Like, you want to go to Israel this year. So I figured that's what I'm going to do. But then, of course, there's three different choirs. So someone in the, one of the choirs, sorry, that keeps happening. Um, one of the guys in the choir said, hey, you should at least come and audition for us. See if maybe you want to do choir. So I was like, well, I'll do that, but I have no intention of actually joining that group. So I do the auditions, and then it comes time to make the decision. And a very seemingly insignificant decision, right? But I, I, I was cultivating my prayer life. I was pursuing ministry. So I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? Should I do this choir? Should I do orchestra? And I heard very clearly, you should do the choir. That didn't really make sense. I was not a singer. I did not enjoy it the last time I did it. <laughs> but I was like, all right, Lord, you, I knew that he had made it clear. I will do that choir. And very, very quickly, I could see what the Lord was up to. And I could see his hand through that very insignificant decision. And I look back now, and I see how there are deep friendships that were formed in that group. And I, of course, know you can make friends in any group. But I'm talking like lifelong, very formative friendships. Friends where, like, I've spent more time praying on the phone with them than with anyone else. I think of how the tours that that group took to Hong Kong and China, to Greece and to Cyprus, really shaped my view of God's kingdom and the things that the Lord showed me on those trips. I saw how he developed leadership in me through those times in that particular choir. And it's just really meaningful to then look back and say, in a season that our young people are stepping into, that if we are willing to trust, trust enough to change our behavior, trust enough and not be distracted, not try to control, not to do all those things, but simply trust that then we will get to see God's movements in our lives over and over and over again. So consider Manoah's wife, who simply trusted God. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so worthy of our trust. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration and our worship. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that a maybe seemingly insignificant or unfamiliar chapter has so much to offer us. Lord, that your truth brings life, it brings freedom, it brings conviction. 
So Lord, I do acknowledge that I am so quick to control, to want to stick my hands into things and meddle and make sure that everything plays out the way I think it should. So Lord, we confess these things. We confess when we are like Israel, forgetting to even cry out. We confess when we are like Manoah, who does not trust because we're trying to control. We confess when we are like Samson, who gets so distracted. But Lord, thank you that it says in your word that if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just and will forgive us, you will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Lord, I pray that this morning we would leave here as the people of God that much more inclined to trust, that much more willing to ask ourselves, like, what is it that you are up to that I am not seeing? And Lord, we do lift up our senior class, Lord, asking that you would do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine in them. Lord, I ask that the lens of the world would fall away. Lord, the the people in this room know that it does not matter what job you get, how much money you make, the things you go on to do, if it is separate or out of step with your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to light a fire in the hearts of our young people and the hearts of every person who is here. Lord, we trust you for it. We're believing you for it. Lord, we thank you again that you are a God who does not need to prove to us that you are trustworthy but yet you have chosen to reveal it to us. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.